Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the word. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that lives are changed when we hear the word. God, we just have great expectation as we sit in this place, and we believe that we will be changed by the word of God so that our lives will be forever transformed. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I'm going to be talking to you guys about the supernatural power of prayer. And um, because how many of you know that something supernatural happens when you pray? And if you don't know, you go learn today that something supernatural happens when you pray. And if you don't have an expectation that something supernatural is going to happen when you pray, that's why nothing's happening when you pray. You got to believe that when you pray, something supernatural happens. You release the power of God into your situation. And so, you know, we're going to be... Um, we're going to be doing this series, and during this series, I'm going to ask you guys to be thinking about who feels like they are want to be a part of the prayer ministry, because as we're getting ready to launch, we're going to need a prayer ministry, but you want to be able to pray effectively, amen? And so, um, if you're, it, the, the question isn't whether you're called to prayer, everybody's called to prayer. The Bible didn't say, you know, people like, oh, they're an intercessor. No, everybody should be an intercessor, because we all have been given the Spirit of God, and we all have been given the ability to pray. Amen. And so we're going to be talking about prayer, but I'm not going to start with scriptures on prayer. I actually want to start in Matthew 13. Um, Matthew 13 is one of my favorite scriptures um, because it teaches us some, some, some foundational principles about the kingdom of God. Amen. Turn and tell your neighbor, say the kingdom of God, kingdom of God. Has, a has a way that it works. And if you don't work it, work. it won't work for you. And so it's very important as believers that we learn how the kingdom of God works. In fact, in Matthew 6, I mean, in, yeah, in Matthew 6, it says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. So when we learn how God does things and what he does and what he expects from us, we can be successful. Amen? So we're going to go to Matthew 13, and we're going to start the first verse. But I just kind of want to set a little foundation for you guys um, before we start reading in, um, in Matthew 13 and verse 1. So one of the things that I think is really interesting about a lot of believers, and you're going to have to govern yourself and see what type of believer you are, is that there are a lot of believers, and they want Jesus to be their Savior, but they don't want Jesus to be Lord. And so that means that when they're in trouble, they want Jesus to run to the rescue. When they need a new job, they want Jesus to do that for them. When they need favor, they want God to show up. But when it comes to issues of obedience, they do what they want to do. And so what I want to submit to you is that as a believer, you can be saved and be average, but you can't be victorious and be average. So you can be saved because you accept Jesus as your personal Savior, and you can live like hell the whole time that you're saved. But tell your neighbor, say, that's not God's will for you. But you know a lot of believers that even though they're saved, they live in a perpetual state of going through, right? That's not what God has called us to. But we have to understand that it takes some discipline. It takes some grow up in order to be successful in the things of God. It takes some discipline. That's why in 2 Corinthians it says we walk by faith and not by sight. What's the difference in that? You don't always feel in love. But if you want to stay married, you better not move off your feelings. Because if you move off your feelings in a day, you could go get you an apartment and move out. But we don't live by how we feel. We live by what God has said. Right? This is so important for you guys to understand that the biggest discipline in the body of Christ is to learn not to let your feelings run you. 
And the way that your feelings don't run you is that when you decide that God is the boss of you, not your feelings. Amen. That God has to be the boss of you. You have to give him permission to be Lord. And so then one of the other reasons that I think that believers struggle is that because I think that, one, number one, I think a lot of believers simply aren't disciplined because nobody's ever told them that you need to be disciplined in order to be successful. But you think about it, when we're trying to teach kids their multiplication facts, we don't tell kids to study their multiplication facts on Monday and then they don't visit them no more in January, right? Because if they did that, what would happen? They'd always be starting over from scratch, right? A lot of believers are always starting over from scratch because your only ability to be consistent comes when you're in crisis. We don't want to be believers that live in crisis. We don't want to be believers that we can only be faithful. See, here's the thing. you got to judge yourself and see what kind of person you are. How faithful are you in prayer when your life is jacked up? How faithful are you about church attendance when your life is jacked up? And how faithful are you when the blessings start to flow? That was the challenge that the children of Israel had. The children of Israel were always in a situation where when they were in turmoil, they were like, come on, Jesus, help us, break us free. And then as soon as they would get back to a wealthy and a, a blessed place, they would go back to living the way that they lived before. Tell your neighbor, say, that's not how we want to live. We don't want to live having to always get in a ditch before we're serious about hearing and obeying God. Isaiah 1 and 19, it says, if you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good of the land. Now we're talking about prayer. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says men ought to always pray. Let me ask you this. Any of you forget to breathe? Do you forget to breathe? No matter, you, you don't forget to breathe, right? Because breath is necessity to life, right? You have to train yourself that you can never forget to pray because prayer is necessity to life. You have to train yourself that just like you need breath, you need to hear what God is saying about your life. Amen? Amen. So let's look at Matthew, the 13th chapter. We're going to start at verse 1, and we're going to read a little bit. It says, The same day Jesus went out, to, um, went out of the house and sat by the sea, and the great multitudes to, were gathered together unto him, so that he went into a ship, and he sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. And he spake many things to them in a parable. Jesus used parables. The Bible says that Jesus used parables because he told stories, because people remember stories better than they remember other stuff, right? Like, you don't always remember all the scriptures that somebody uses, but you remember the story that they tell, right? And so it says that Jesus used parables in order to create a receptiveness in the people's heart for the truths that he was about to tell. And so here's the parable he gave them. He said, behold, a sower went forth to sow. And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside and the fowls came and devoured them up. And some fell in stony places, and when they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched because they had not root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung, the thorns sprung up and choked them out. But others fell on good ground and brought forth fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, and some thirtyfold. Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear." So here's what happened. Jesus is out. He's on the boat. He's telling this story. This is the story that he tells. The disciples get with Jesus by themselves, and they go, man, that story you told, we don't know what that means. We don't have a clue what it is that you're talking about. One of the things I'm going to tell you is that if you're going to grow into things of God, you can't try to be deep. 
If you don't understand something, you just got to say, I don't know what that means. And the disciples said, we don't have a clue what you're talking about. So Jesus then comes down and he begins to break down the story. And he says, and when I read this time, I'm going to read out of the Amplify. He says, he's, they said to him, they said, why are you telling us stories in parables? Why don't you just make it plain? And he says, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but to them it has not been given. So basically, he's putting forth a principle here. He's saying that if you are a believer, it has been given to you. You have the right to understand what God is saying. Say, I have a right to understand what God is saying. He says, but to people who don't have any spiritual insight, they don't have a right to know what God is saying. So the first thing he's telling you here is a principle in your life. You don't ask people for advice who don't listen to God. He said because people who don't listen to God don't understand what God is talking about. And people who don't listen to God will always tell you how crazy it is to obey God. He says, but to you and to I, we have been given the right to understand what God is saying. Amen? Say, I have a right to understand what God is saying. And then he says, he says, whoever has spiritual knowledge, he says, so whosoever heart is open to Jesus, he says, to him more will be given. Very basic concept. Once you understand addition, you can do subtraction. Once you understand addition, you can do multiplication. But you can't do multiplication if you don't understand addition, Right? So he says, you have to understand that basically if you don't open up your heart to the truth of God, you can't grow in the truth of God. Basically what he's saying to you is that you will never understand God with your intellect. In fact, in Romans 6, it says that your very intellect is an enemy against God. Your intellect will fight against God. Here's an example. The Lord will say to you, hey, you should fast. Your intellect says, we need to eat. Right? Think about this. Have you ever gone on a fast? If you haven't, you go get some chances to. If you've gone on a fast, you might not even eat breakfast in the morning. But have you noticed that if you go on a fast, even if you don't eat breakfast, if you go on a fast when you wake up, you're hungry? Now, you're not used to eating until 11 o'clock. But because you went on a spiritual decision, your natural mind came in and said, if we don't eat, we're going to starve to death. He says, so you cannot understand God in your natural mind. He says, but what you can do is get so much word in your spirit that your spirit will change your mind. The challenge for a lot of people, the reason that they don't get to tap into the supernatural power of God is because the moment that God starts to talk, they start to say that doesn't make sense. Of course it doesn't make sense to us. You're not God. I'm not God. So he says to them, he says, listen to this. He says, if you have spiritual knowledge, more will be given and he will be furnished richly so that he has abundance. But from who, him who has not, even what, he does, even what he has will be taken away. So he says, and then he, let's keep going. He says, the reason that I speak to them in parables, verse 13, is because having the power of seeing, they do not see. And having the power of hearing, they do not hear, nor do they grasp and understand. In them it is produced the, the process of fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah, which says, You shall indeed hear and hear, but never grasp and understand. You shall indeed look and look, but never perceive. And he says, For this nation, go to that verse. He says, For the people's heart is wax gross. 
So what you're going to see that this whole parable, that any spiritual truth, whether you receive it or not, is based on the condition of your heart. It says the reason that they hear but they don't hear is because of their heart. And the reason that they see but they don't see is because of their heart. But then look at what he says. He says, he says but at any time that they should hear with their um. Let's start at the top. For this people's heart is wax gross and their ears are dull of hearing and their hearts they have closed, their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and should understand with their heart, they should be converted and I should heal them. Understand that the enemy has a strategic purpose in keeping us dull to the things of God. Because if he keeps us dull to the things of God, we cannot see, we cannot hear, and we cannot be healed. So the enemy's job is to do everything he can to keep you distracted by life and keep you distracted by people so you miss out on what God is doing. But it says that you, say I, have the power to see, to hear, and to understand anytime. Anytime. Like at any moment, you could decide right now, I want to understand healing, and God will teach you about healing. But as long as you say healing don't exist, you'll never understand healing, even though people around you get healed. You can say, I want to understand the revelation of the love of God, but as long as you don't want to understand the revelation of God, God won't force himself and make you understand the revelation of God. So you have to have an open hearing heart. Amen? So here's our first prayer this morning. What do you think we should pray for? Our hearts, right? So let's, that's our first prayer. Let's pray for our hearts. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we just pray for our hearts. Your word has told us right here that if we open our hearts, that we can hear, see, perceive, and understand. We know that there are so many good things that you desire for us, and we don't want to have a gross, dull heart that keeps us from receiving. And so we set our hearts to be open to the things of God in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So now let's look at Ephesians. It says that anytime, tell your neighbor, say anytime, you can choose. Now there are some things you can't do anytime. You can't pick that you go get a raise anytime. But you can choose to understand and be open to God anytime. The devil doesn't have the power to stop you. You just have to be willing to be open. So we're going to go to Ephesians 1, and we're going to start in verse 15. Um, because I'm setting a foundation for prayer about the things that you're going to have to believe in order to pray. You got, there are some things you're going to have to believe in order for prayer to be effective to you. So um, let me tell you guys a, a great testimony. So we have a friend who um, was an atheist. Notice I said was an atheist. He was an atheist, and he was the kind of person that if you said something about God, he always wanted to challenge you. And he, he a real, real, real smart guy. And um, about a year ago, the Lord gave Edwin and I a word and told us to begin to pray over him. And Kenosha and I, we, we all began to just agree that God would give him an encounter that would let him know that God was real. So about two weeks ago, he called us. and He was like, can I talk to you for a second? He said, you know all that stuff that I was saying about how God isn't real? He said, I got a whole new lease on that, and I'm not sure what to do with it. He said, last year I injured myself, and nothing that the doctors were doing was working. And I was laying in bed the other night, 
and I was hurting so bad and none of the medicine that was work was working. And I said, all right, God, if you're real, do something about this. He said, my shoulder don't hurt no more. That ought to make you shout because you ought to be like, that's what we already knew. That's what we've been trying to tell you. Now, here's the thing. He has an experience. See, God has to move past the book for you. See, now he has an experience that trumps everything he read. Because the doctor told him he'd have the pain for the rest of his life. And then he cried out to God, and now he doesn't have the pain. And so now he's like, can y'all send me some books so I can learn about Jesus? Yep, we'd be happy to. But see, your expectation has to be that God is supernatural. Your expectation has to be, listen, if God can't do more than you, he ain't much of a God. If God's power is no greater than your power, then you really God. And you know the limitations of yourself. So when God says he wants to do something, like, for example, when God says that we'll lay hands on the sick and they'll recover, why would we ever think that we the reason that people go get healed? You put hands on people before, they didn't get healed, right? It's not your hands, it's the act of your faith. And so what happens is, is that because people are so logical, people say, well, why do I have to lay hands? Because the Bible says so. That's why you have to, because the Bible said so, and there is an act of faith that when you obey God, releases power. But see, if you just want a normal, boring God who's just like you, you don't have to come to church for that. You can just stay at home and deal with you. And you can live in your limitations. But how many of you know that God hasn't called us to live in this place of limitations? Let's look at Ephesians 1 and 15. This is why you have to be students of the word. Hebrews 4 and 12, it says, For the word of God is alive. It is more powerful than a two-edged sword. It, it divides the soul and the spirit. Basically, if you put enough word in you, the word will begin to show you when your soul doesn't agree with God. So... This is the Apostle Paul, and he's praying. He says, Wherefore also after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and love unto all the saints. He says, So I heard that you guys love Jesus. So fellowship of champions, I heard that you love Jesus. So because I heard that you love Jesus, here's the prayer I pray for you. Go to verse 16. I cease not to give thanks for you, making mentions of you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, would give unto you what? The spirit of wisdom and what? Revelation in the knowledge of him. Because the only way that you will ever be able to tap into the supernatural things of God is that you have to have some insight of who God is. God got to be more than some big thing in the sky that doesn't care about humanity. He's got to be bigger than the person who's out to get you. Let me just parenthetically insert here, God is not out to get you. Tell your neighbor, say, God is not out to get you. Now I want you to look at your neighbor, and I want you to look at him real serious in the face, okay? I want you to tell him, say, I want you to know that if God was out to get you, you have given him many chances to get you. If he wanted to get you, you'd have been God. 
See, you need to understand God is not out to get you. In fact, when you were out doing what you wanted to do, it was God that was reconciling you back to him. God is not out to get you. In fact, you have been in situations that other people have been in and it ended bad for them. You say, why didn't it end bad for me? Because you somewhere in your lineage had a praying grandmother. You somewhere had a praying mother, a praying father, someone who was covering you, the Sunday school teacher that was praying for you, and prayers were working for you even when you were working against God. Amen. He says, so we pray, we want what? This spirit of wisdom and this revelation in the knowledge of him. Say, I want to know who God is. I mean, do you want to know who God is? You can't even live in victory if you don't know who God is. Don't dummy God down to fit your understanding. Allow God to stretch your understanding. Let's go to the next verse. It says that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that's the same thing Matthew was talking about, that when your eyes are enlightened that you may know what? The hope of his calling and what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance is in the saints. So here's what Paul says. He says, number one, I want you to know who God is. And then I want you to know what God has given you. Why? Because when you know what God has given you, it changes how you live. I'm going to give you an example that probably everybody can understand. Have you ever gone, gone to the store and you are going to use your credit or debit card and you are not sure whether you have enough money for the purchase on it? Yes? Yes. Are y'all awake today? Have you ever done that? When the stuff is ringing up, talk to me about what's going on on the inside of you. What's happening on the inside? Don't let, what you say? Don't let me be shamed up in here today, right? Does total start coming up? You're like, nope, don't need that. Take that back. I don't want that. I don't want that. And then when you run it through, you praying the whole time you run it through, right? You like, right, right. You already got your story, right? And then when it go through, you are relieved, right? But have you ever gone to get something and you knew you had money? And it was declined. Don't you act real different then? Don't you act real different then? Because you know that you have it. See, understand that the enemy plays on your ignorance of the word. Because then you will be nervous when you go to get what God says belong to you. But see, when you swipe that card. See, baby, I've been in there and I swiped the card and it declined. I said, hold on, I'm about to call the bank because this ain't right. No, 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 y'all got to go to another line because I need you to know I got money. Right? There's a different kind of confidence. So the word will produce confidence in you so that when sickness comes, you don't say everybody get the flu. You say, no, they may get the flu, but I've been delivered from the flu. And then people think you look crazy, but you've already read the word. And so you're fully persuaded. The word will produce a confidence in you. You know, it's just like the difference in being a wife and a side chick. Side chick don't have a bunch of confidence. You don't really know how that thing is going to work out. When he say he going to come by on Christmas, you're not really sure whether he coming or not. Because if them little babies need him to put that train set together. 
But when you, but when you are a wife, you have an expectation, which is why you ought not be a side chick. That was free. That was free. You ought not be a side chick. But you ought not live like that with the Lord. You ought not not know the word so that you can't live in victory. So he said, I want you to know what is this exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. He says, I want you to understand how great your God is and how great the power is that he has given you. So yes, we understand that God is great, but we also understand that because God is great, he has put greatness in us. I'm not talking about our ability to be smart. I'm not talking about that. The Bible says that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives on the inside of you. So there should be an expert. But here's the thing. Without the word, you don't know how to activate the power. See, the, you got saved and the power is in you, but the word is the passcode. The word is the activation that makes your spirit man stand up and say, no, we're not going to end in divorce. That's not the will of God for us. And we're not going to live here and be unhappy. We're going to like each other because that is the will of God for us. It is the thing that says, even when they say there are no jobs, it says, God says he will provide. He will raise up someone to favor me. That is a very different posture. Can you imagine Jesus trying to feed the 5,000? Y'all sit down. We ain't sure what's going to happen. Don't y'all eat that much. Let's feed the babies first. That's not what happened. The Bible says that he took the fish and the loaves and he lifted them up to heaven and he prayed over them. That's supernatural. And see, scientists want to take that away. But see, you can't explain supernatural. Supernatural is when God just shows up and does what he does. And all of your hard work, see, and here's the thing, do we work hard? We do. But we got an expectation that what distinguishes us from them is that when we get through working hard, God go drop his super on top of it. And so he's going to take our ability and our capacity to another place because it's his power working in us and with us. Amen? Amen. And so we got to have an expectation, this power in us, to those who believe. Go to verse 19. I mean 20, sorry. It says, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. This is just Paul telling the salvation story to them. He says, guys, look what happened. He said, God didn't want you to be bound to sickness and disease and the power of the devil. So what he did was he sent Jesus. And Jesus died on the cross for all of your sins. And that would have been enough because we'd have just been glad not to pay for our sins. He said, but he didn't stop there. He raised Jesus up with all power and set him at the right hand of the Father. I love this. This is my favorite verse in this whole thing. He set him where? Far above. Look at verse 21. Say, say far above. I'm telling you, you, got, you need to start coming to church with no book. And I highlight it so you can highlight some of this stuff. Far above. That means that when cancer attacks us, uh, cancer and God ain't even. Jesus is far above. 
Do you understand how you approach sickness and lack and depression when you believe that the power of God is far above it? It's far above it. Do you understand what I'm saying here? Let that sink into your heart. There is no disease. There is no problem. There is no challenge. There is no situation that comes close to the power of God. See, what happens when you watch superhero movies sometimes? When you watch superhero movies sometimes is that the superhero and the villain have equal power. Right? So in our minds, we think God and the devil are having some kind of wrestling match about who's going to be the greatest. But the Bible tells us that God, his power is far above. Say it's far above. Now listen to this. Now that's just great that God is far above, right? How many of you think that's great? It says far above all principality, all power, all might, all dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but in the world that is to come. So it's acknowledging that before there is a name, even when they have a disease that doesn't have a name yet, that God has already established his authority over that. So it doesn't matter that they can't diagnose it because God has already said that his power is far above it. Now, that's good. When y'all get home, y'all go shout because y'all understand what I'm saying. Go ahead. Verse 22. It says, and has put what? Read it. No, no. Go ahead. Read it. Keep going. So, what you just read says that God had all power, gave that power to Jesus, made Jesus the head of the church of which you are a part of, made Jesus the head, you are, we are what? The what of Christ? The body of Christ. And he put all things under. So what in life has the right to beat you up? And when you understand that, you can't fall asleep praying. See, the reason that you fall asleep praying is because you don't know who you are. But if you ever understand who you are, you can't fall asleep praying. You can't let yourself wonder, will this thing overtake me? How could it overtake me when it's already under my feet? See, if the devil is talking to you in your head, he in the wrong place. It's because you don't know who you are, so you haven't put him under your feet. You can't do that with natural strength. You got to do that with word. You got to put the word in you so much. See, listen, if you live long enough, life goes sucker punch you. Tell your neighbor, say, life will sucker punch you. Life will sucker punch you. It will do some stuff to you that you did not expect would happen to you. That's why we put the word on the inside of us every day. So that while you are down and out for the count and it looks like it's over, your spirit man starts preaching to you. Your spirit man starts saying you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. The spirit man starts saying you are more than a conqueror through Christ who gives you strength. And you start getting some strength and then you end up standing when they thought you would never get up again because you are fully persuaded that God is who he says he is. But you got to get fully persuaded. And you get fully persuaded by putting the word on the inside of you. You can't shout your way into fully persuaded. Oh, the music felt good to me. We can put on any beat and it'll feel good to you. 
It ain't the music that'll free you. It's the word. So the enemy does everything he can to keep your life so busy that you don't think you have time for the word. Pastor Sean, I don't have time for the word. But it take you 20 minutes to ride to work, and at 20 minutes you can listen to word. But you don't. You talk to your girlfriend, catch up on Facebook. You know you, you, know you read your phone while you drive. You do everything but, but what would that 20 minutes of word do for you? You on your way home, I'm so stressed out. I got to figure out what I'm going to cook for dinner. I got to figure out what I'm, how I'm going to get the kids' homework done. What if you just put the word in and let the word speak to you? See, understand, you don't have a problem that God don't have a solution for. If you can't find your solution, it's because you're not hearing God. Thank you, Kenosha. I appreciate that. So... People don't understand how important the word is. Go to Psalms 138 and 2. Glory to God. Wait, no, no, no. We got to finish this. Sorry. 24 and 25. I'm getting ahead of myself. Because I want you to be fully persuaded. See, you can't bring nobody to a Jesus you ain't fully persuaded about. Huh? Wrong chapter. It's the wrong chapter. My bad. I'm a little ahead of myself. Let's go to... um. Psalms 138, verse 2. Let's go there. You got to be excited about the word. You discipline yourself to be excited about the word. Tell your neighbor, say, if you don't become a student, you won't live in victory. So, Psalms 138, verse 2. 138, I'm sorry. Now, we know there's power in the name of Jesus, right? You, you do know, you know, let's try again. We know there's power in the name of Jesus, right? right? We know there's power in the name of Jesus. But let's read in what he says here. He says, I will worship toward thy holy temple, and I will praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast done what? What? It says, so God himself magnified his word above his name. Why is that? Because your name today is only as good as your word. So God said, you can put everything on the fact that I am who I said I am. If you can't put your weight on the fact that I am who I said I am, you don't have anything to live off of. I have magnified my word above my name, which means what should be the most important thing to all of us? The word of God. We have to become students. That's why the Bible says, study to show thyself approved. Even Jesus came and he studied the scrolls. If you look in Luke 4, it says he found himself in the word. He found himself in the word. So he tells us that when we're studying the word, we should be finding ourselves in the word. Let's go to Hebrews 11 and 6. Because we're trying to learn about, see, if you don't have confidence in prayer, nothing's going to be produced. The enemy's job is to bombard you. The enemy's job is to get you to use natural circumstances to make you believe that you can't have what God said. you got to be fully persuaded. Tell your neighbor, say, it's time to become fully persuaded. It's time to become fully persuaded. You don't will your way into fully persuaded. Let's go back to math again. 
Do you remember when you first tried to learn your multiplication tables? This seems so difficult. Can you remember on that sheet that you, like, it seemed like it was so many of them and there was no way you would ever know all of those? Well, you know them now, right? Because nine times nine is what? And six times four is what? Why? It just comes up out of you because you put it in so deep that you don't have to search for it. You've got to put the word in you that it comes out like that. So it says, but without faith, it is impossible to please God, for he that comes to God must believe that he is. If you got your Bible, you should circle and. He is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek you. See, the manipulation of religion is to make you think that it's wrong to expect God to do something in your life. But the Bible clearly says that when you come to God, you got to believe two things. He is and he rewards. In other words, you have to believe there is no way you could come to Jesus and leave without getting your need met. Your expectation has to be, when I come to Jesus, he will answer me. How do I know he will answer me? I have looked in his word to see what he would do. We did this a couple of weeks ago. You're sick in your body. I'm believing for healing. Not if you don't know scripture. You're hoping for healing. You're hoping it will run its course. You're wishing you will feel better. But if you are going to be a person who is going to believe for healing, you have to know that you have a right to be healed. Have a right to be healed. I'm believing God for somebody to spend my life with. What does the Bible say about that? Does the Bible have a promise about that? If the Bible has a promise about that, stop being moved because you ain't met nobody yet. God knows exactly where you are. God knows exactly where you are. And here's the mindset people in Northwest Arkansas get into. People say, I can't find, ain't no good men in Northwest Arkansas. You don't need but one. And the Lord moved folks here every day. Every day. This one, the fastest growing regions in, 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 the, in America. But you can't find a man because you already fully persuaded ain't no good men. But let me prove to you there's some good men here. Where, where'd you meet Rick? In Northwest Arkansas. I met Strick in Northwest Arkansas. Where, did y'all meet up here? Where y'all meet? North, Northwest Arkansas. Where, where, where'd you meet your wife? No, no, oh, look, look at that. But see, if you buy into somebody else who's unbelieving self, and so then what the enemy will do is get you to move to Dallas, not knowing that the prayer you've been praying is that your person go show up right here, but you go to Dallas and you miss them. You got to learn how to hear from God. I don't want to be up here because I don't want to be around any black people. I'm, it ain't enough black people. When you go home, you don't want to be around black people. You go live in a neighborhood where black people, that don't make sense. You allow the enemy to pull you out of the place that you should be because your flesh, flesh is anxious for something. Every year, every year. They be like, you want your kid to take a flu shot? Nope. You know if your kids don't take a flu shot, they go get the flu. Not my kids. My kids be at school, they be like, Jesus, our flu shot. We'll take the flu shot. Flu shot got side effects. Jesus don't have side effects. Every year, 
the same person who tell me my kids go catch the flu, their kids get the flu even though they got the shot. My kids don't get the flu. I'm not just hoping. I have a word for Why don't I give my kids the flu shot? I asked the Lord. He told me not to. So my expectation is that if he told me not to, he knows something about the shot and my kids that they don't know. So I don't give my kids the shot because of the pressure. How many of you are giving up on promises of God because of the pressure? Because somebody is saying to you, here's what you should do. This is the way you should do. It's not going to work if you don't do it. Do what God said. You can't know what God said if you don't pray. Amen. Y'all take a little more? Might as well be able to. I ain't done yet. All right. Let's say. No, for real. I only got three more scriptures. <laughs> when we come to God, we must believe that he is, and he is a rewarder to them that diligently seek him. So I'm going to go through, th we're going to look at three scriptures, and you're going to see supernatural power being opened in these scriptures or the power of prayer. Let's start at Luke 11. Y'all learning something this morning? You got to be fully persuaded when you pray. In fact, here, here is what I do. I don't pray until I'm persuaded. Which means that I have, sometimes I got to study before I can pray. I got to get a word on it so I know what to talk about. Because, listen, God does not respond to need. God responds to faith. God responds to faith. He changes your life because you believe that when you come, he will. Tell your neighbor, say, when you come, when you come he, will. he will. Let's look, look at him. Um, it says, and it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Jesus, teach us how to pray, as John taught his disciples. And then he said unto them, he says, when you pray, say, our Father which art in heaven. Now listen, growing up, did you learn the Lord's Prayer? So the Lord's Prayer, it's not really a prayer as much as it is a model of prayer. It is a model of prayer, right? So it says, when you pray, say, our Father which art in heaven. The first thing he's telling you to do in prayer is to position yourself to remember who your God is. So if you go in prayer and you complain about everything that's going wrong, you have not remembered who your God was. So you start with our Father which art in heaven which doesn't just mean you have to stay there. Sometimes you got to remind yourself of everything that God has done to get your perspective right before you start talking. It's kind of like, you know, if you've ever talked to your mama and then you say something out the way and she's like, who, um, who are you talking to? Because like, and then she giving you a chance to regroup, right? So she, she giving you a chance to regroup. So you may come into prayer crying and broken and stuff, but when you start to reflect on who God is, it gives you a chance to regroup. So you came feeling hopeless, but when you start talking about how great he is and how majestic he is and how powerful he is, it shifts you. And instead of coming being pitiful, you come start looking for a solution. You see the difference in that? You may come crying, but you are not in crying. Like all the weeping intercessors, I don't understand that. You may start weeping, but when you in, you ought to be excited. Because there is no way that you talk to God and God doesn't start telling you, you go come out of this. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. What are you facing that's bigger than your God? Nothing. So it says, when you pray, say, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. It's not just some random saying that they put in there 
because they ain't had nothing else to do. Thy kingdom come, it literally means what I am inviting right now to happen is the will of heaven to be done in my life. So, Father, I have acknowledged that you are bigger than this financial lack that I have. I have acknowledged that you are my provider. How do I know that you are my provider? Because the Bible tells me that you are my provider. And I got all of these stories of your provision, the stories I've read, the testimonies of my friends, and my own personal stories. And so now I declare your kingdom come, your provision come into my life. Do you see what I'm saying? Keep going. And it says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You have to know what heaven's will is to be able to establish what should happen in the earth. An embassy is a perfect example of that. An embassy on the soil of another country belongs to the United States. So the, that's why you see those movies and they're United States citizens and they're going through town. They're just like, because if I can just get to the embassy, whatever it is that you want to do to me, you can't do to me if I can put my feet on that soil. Prayer gives you the ability to grab heaven and pull it into the soil of your life. You get to pull it. You get to go, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Hey, in heaven, anybody got to take the flu shot? Nobody in heaven get the flu? We pull it down. We declare we are not a family that gets the flu. Uh, oh, um, anybody in heaven struggling to pay their bills? No, no. We declare thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The Bible says we are citizens of heaven. We live here, but our residence is there. It means Taylor lives in Conway. But her residence is here. It means as long as she belongs to us, whatever we got, she has. We're not going to let Taylor be hungry in Conway. We just go transfer what she needs from here to there. That's what prayer does. It lets you transfer. But if you don't go in prayer expecting transfer, you don't get transfer. Prayer not a counseling session. You know, you go to the counselor, you just dump all your stuff. Prayer is not a counseling session. Now, let's wrap this up. Verse 3. Go to verse 3. It says, give us this day our daily bread. The Bible says he daily loads me with benefits. If you don't know that, that's Psalm 68 and 19. You should memorize that scripture. Say, the Lord has benefits for me every day of my life. You begin to expect life differently. Some of you, the only benefit you expect is your paycheck. But the Bible didn't say that his benefits come on the 1st and the 15th or every other Friday. It says he daily loads us with benefits. That means that there's a supply of peace for today. There's a supply of wisdom for today. There's a supply of favor for today. There's a supply of provision for today. There's a supply of protection for today. When we started this day, we had more than enough. Amen? Say, when we started the day, we had more than enough. That has to be your expectation. Nothing in your life ever throws God. It may throw you, but your life doesn't ever throw God. He knew when you did that, it wasn't going to be enough. He already had a plan for provision if you just ask. He knew your job would run out before it did. He knew your job would run out before they made the decision. He already had a plan. But you can't get free if you don't expect that. All right, it says, and forgive us our sins. We want to be forgiven for our sins. And we forgive everyone that is indebted to us. Here is one of the big hindrances of prayer. 
If you hold on to offense, your prayers don't get answered. Not because God won't answer your prayers, but because offense is a hearing blocker. I'll give you an example. Somebody hurts you. Eric and I were talking this morning. We were saying, it ain't no hurt in the world like church hurt. Church, church hurt, crazy hurt. You just like, you know what I mean? We all go to church. We all love Jesus, and you do that? You know, in your family, you know everybody don't love Jesus. So, but church hurt, church hurt is crazy hurt, right? So then what church hurt says is, you know what? When I go to the next church, I'm just going to stay in the background. But what about the gift God gave you? Oh, you know what? I'm not going to get close with anybody in the church, but what about the fact that people need connection in order to live? So you're still going to church, but your offense is keeping you from what God would desire to do in your life. Husbands and wives have that same issue. That's why they can't reconcile. I'm going to stay with you, but I ain't going to forget what you did. You might well get divorced. Because over time, you're going to eat away your marriage so much until you go despise each other. If you're going to stay, you got to forgive. I can't forgive. I know. God is the one who helps you forgive. So you have to say, God, listen, I don't really want to forgive so-and-so. I don't trust them. They ain't no good. And they still do the same thing. But I'm telling you because you're the only person who can help me to forgive. And then God got permission to work on the unforgiveness in your heart so the unforgiveness in your heart doesn't block you from receiving the very thing that you're praying for. And because people don't understand that things are related in the kingdom, you don't understand how your unforgiveness can mess with your money. You won't forgive your daddy, and because you won't forgive your daddy, now there's a man who has an opportunity for you, but you ain't going to let no man tell you what to do, and so you ain't going to go over here, and then you blocked in your blessing because you won't let God forgive, let, help you forgive. So he says, you have to forgive the people that, you, that are indebted to you. And it takes supernatural power to forgive. The Bible says that God himself, he separates our sin from the east from the west. And the Bible says that he forgets for his own sake. He forgets for his own sake. So if God can cause himself to forget, God can cause you to forget. Forgetting doesn't mean that you don't remember what happened. It means there's no longer a sting to it. With the forgiveness, it is not that... I don't remember what you did. It means that I allow God to work on me so that I don't have a sting by what you did anymore. And now I can treat you the way I would have treated you had you never done it. Oh, but see then, that would mess with your religious theology. You know the theology that you have that says that if someone messes up, you should treat them from a long handle spoon. You know that one right there? There's actually not a scripture that tells you that you should treat people from a long handle spoon. Am I telling you that if someone injures you, you got to put them in the same position? I'm telling you that you should hear God. Because there are some people that will injure you and God will tell you to back them all the way up out of your space. And there are other people that will injure you and God will tell you to stick close to them because you have a destiny connection. Me and Kenosha talk about this all the time. Kenosha and I, we, we say this all the time because we fight. We fight a lot because she don't listen, so we fight a lot. And, um, but here's the thing we say. We say we ain't breaking up with each other because we have a word from God that our destinies are connected. So we get mad at each other. 
We had to get off the phone. Pastor Edwin had to mediate. But we, even when we mad at each other, we like, I ain't breaking up with you. I ain't talking to you right now, but I'm not breaking up with you because once God has told you that you're divinely connected to somebody, you don't break up till God tells you it's over. But when you don't understand that, see, the enemy's job is to conquer and divide. That's why he fights marriage so. Because the Bible says one will put a thousand to fight, but two will put ten thousand. That ain't just the double. So the enemy's job is to get you and your spouse not to be in agreement and to make you think that your spouse is against you and you aren't on the same team so that you can't ever put 10,000 to flight. The same is true in church. The job of the enemy is to take people who are connected together and get them to break up because in the kingdom there are tribes. And there are people that are supposed to be together. That's why it does matter where you go to church. There are good churches, but you ain't called everywhere because there are people that you supply them and they supply you. And so what the enemy will do is make you break up and separate from people. Why? Simply because of this. I'm going to forgive them, but they can't get close to me no more. I'm going to keep going to church, but I ain't speaking to nobody. I'm going to come late and I'm going to leave early. Yeah, y'all must have all done that before. All right. It says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The temptation to go to the place that God is telling us not to go. I'm not talking about the club. Sometimes the temptation is that there's a job that you want and God says not now. Sometimes the temptation is something that looks good. There is a house you want. God says not now, but you want it, and it looks so right. He says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, because everything that looked good ain't good. You ever seen somebody in the club, and then you went to IHOP with them? <laughs> everything that looked good ain't good. You can always tell the people who done done it. You can always tell the people who have done it. So... I'm not gonna do my I'm not gonna do my third my um third scripture, but I am gonna end with Jane with James five. Y'all got some funny stories. I need to talk to y'all at church about y'all stories. Y'all got all kind of yeah. Y'all ain't even come back yet. So and let's look at James five, and then we're gonna pray, and then we're gonna roll. Y'all getting something out of this? You know, listen, here's the thing. We, we were talking about this. We have tried to have um, fast church, but we don't believe fast church produce, produce breakthrough. Amen. We just, we're we, we not a church that can give you a 20-minute message, a poem and two cute stories. <laughs> we're not dogging somebody else who does that, but we have a very clear assignment that we raise champions. And when you raise champions, champions practice. See, it's some people who committed to be champions. They team not practicing right now, but they are. Their team not watching film right now, but they are because there's something in them that's a champion. And so, you know, we keep trying to figure out, you know, how can we cut service down? We can't. We, we can't. You hear maybe an hour a word a week. You got to discipline yourself to be able to sit and hear the word. And then go study the scriptures, find supplemental scriptures, and grow in the word. Preach, Blake. Let's look at, let's look at James 5. Y'all, we got five kids. You know Blake ain't bothering us this morning. Let's look at verse 14, 514, 514. 
and then Ralph is going to come and um, do our announcements and our offering this morning. But when, listen, guys, tell your neighbor, say, you need to be serious about prayer. Because prayer will change your life. Prayer will absolutely change your life. You know, I can remember years ago when our marriage was in a really bad state, and I just, I was in, I, listen, me and I say this all the time. The only reason we didn't get divorced at first because we didn't have the money. We couldn't afford it. We was college students. We couldn't afford to get a divorce. But that worked for our good. And I can remember one time praying, and the Lord said to me, just as clear, he said, you can leave if you want to, but your, de your destiny is with him. Then I had a choice to make. Was I going to walk out what God told me to do, or was I going to do what was easy? And if you've ever tried to do the easy thing, what you find out is what's supposed to be the easy thing never turns out to be the easy thing. It always ends up. See, here's the thing I have found out. So it took us a few years to work through our craziness in our marriage, but now we happy. And the people I know that kept breaking up, getting married to the next person, they still, they repeating the same cycle. Like, Because at some point, if you obey God, you break into happy. And you just love, you go, Lord, we could have just, you mean that if I had just shut up years ago? <laughs> Girl, if that's y'all first lesson, if you learn, just be quiet. If you just be, it, I'm, I'm telling you, the first lesson of marriage is be quiet. Be quiet. Because he can't hear the Lord because you won't shut up. She can't hear the Lord because you won't shut up. Be quiet. It took me a lot of years to learn. Be quiet. Such a simple lesson. Discipline. So the Bible says, is there any sick among you? When they're sick among you, what should you do? And let them do what? Doing what? you like, don't put no oil on me. Whatever what the Bible said. That's what the Bible said. We could get some Pam and spray you, but it still be oil because this is what the Bible said. It said this is what the Bible says do. What happens is that when people get so intelligent, they don't think they have to do what the Bible says do. It don't take all that. Well, if it didn't take all that, they wouldn't put it in there. Go to the next verse. So it tells you when you're sick what you should do. Elders don't mean you got to call your deacons. It means find somebody who is experienced in the word who believe God. Find some, why, why would you call somebody who don't believe in healing to pray for you? I said this the other week. They were laughing at me. I'm like, dude, listen, you can love your mama, but if you know your mama don't believe in healing, why would you call your mama when you're sick? Call your mama with your testimony after the Lord raised you up. So it says, and the prayer of faith shall do what? And the Lord shall what? And if what? They should be do what? So he's telling you, he's giving you the formula. You pray for the sick because part of prayer for the sick is that when you pray for people, you start to ask them about unforgiveness because now science is confirming that a lot of times people can't get healed because they won't forgive because they have all of these, they, they have bitterness, they have, um, they have hurt that they have not resolved and it's manifesting in their body. So part of the prayer for healing is always going to be, or it should always be, hey, is there somebody you need to forgive? Here's the rule right here. If someone says, is there somebody you need to forgive, and a name comes to mind, that's the person you need to forgive. Don't go, I already dealt with that. If you had already dealt with it, it wouldn't come to your mind. You see what I'm saying? So when someone says, is there someone you need to forgive, and a name comes to the mind, just say the name, and let's go ahead and work through the forgiveness exercise. I believe that there are people who walk around with sickness in their body because they won't forgive. You're literally taking the poison that you want to happen on the other people. And for the most part, you should just know that when you're mad at people and offended with them, most of them do not know, and some of the ones who know do not care. And so you got arthritis in your back because you won't forgive. They're not thinking about you. They feel fine when they get up. 
So it's not worth it. He says, and if they have committed sins, they shall be forgiven. Go to the next verse. Oh, Jesus. It says, confess your faults one to another. Oh, my goodness, right here. Here's another reason part of the church, we can't get free. The Bible says, confess your faults one to another. I ain't telling them my business. What the Bible say? Confess your faults one to another. It did not say you had to put them all on Facebook. It did not say that you had to periscope them all. But it said it ought to be somebody that you could confess your faults to. Why? Because when you confess your faults, that person can walk with you to freedom. Confess your faults. I'm really struggling in this area. I need someone to take the journey with me. That's why you cannot believe that you can live just watching church on TV. I don't care how good those preachers are on TV. They don't see you. You just see them. They don't know if you're there. There is no one on TV to hold you accountable and help you walk through your place of freedom. It says what? And pray for one another that you may be healed. So this is a two-part thing. So if we're going to be a powerful praying church, Rod has to know that if he tells me something, I ain't going to tell y'all. And I'm supposed to pray. So that means that if we're going to be a powerful praying church, this is what we're not going to do. Rod called me and tell me something. I called Kedron. Kedron, just so we can pray about it, let me tell you what's going on. We're not going to do that if we're going to be a powerful praying church. Because if Rod had wanted Kedron to know, he'd have called us both on three-way. You see what I'm saying? It's got to be some maturity if we're going to pray for people. People got to be able to hear that they're going to, they got to be able to know that they can tell you something. And it's going to stick with you. And if you don't know how to pray for it, you got to say, hold on, I'm not really sure what to do. Would it be okay if I asked Pastor Elwin, I won't tell him your name, I just want to get some information about this situation. That's just maturity and growing up so that people know that they can confess their faults. Here's a rule of thumb. If people tell you other people's business, you shouldn't tell them your business. I mean, that's just real, real simple. You'll be like, I can't believe she told that. She told you all them other people's stuff. Right. We talking about maturity in prayer, getting supernatural results, because we got to be able to trust each other, and we have to be mature, right? When people come in, they're struggling with their sexuality, they're struggling, they're having an affair, they're, ha they're in depression, they're whatever. They need to know that you aren't going to tell their stuff. Amen? Amen? So it says that they may be what? healed the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much what is an effectual fervent prayer it is a word-based prayer that's filled with faith your prayer is not effectual because you scream loud it's not effectual because you cry now you may cry and you may scream loud but that doesn't give it any power what gives it power is that you believe in God and his word when you go amen